Hey, uh, welcome to Central Vineyard. Uh, happy Easter again. It was uh, so good to be with you on Easter Sunday. It was great to not be with you last week it, because I was on vacation with my wife. A little bit of renewal, which was much needed. So but I'm super happy to be back with you today. Um, I want to say something about the community of Central Vineyard. The vast majority of, majority of us are atheists. Serious. The vast majority of our community are atheists. Now, what I mean by that is there are so many conceptions of God that we don't believe in. There's so many kinds of gods. There's so many descriptions of gods that we do not believe in. I do, there are so many ways that people would describe God, and I'm like, that God doesn't exist. I don't believe in God, and I think of this like, as far as if we believe in a vengeful, capricious God who uh, is always looking for a way to crush us, well, oh, that God doesn't exist. Don't worry. You can be an atheist about that God. Now, I have uh, been in one way or another attempting to follow Jesus since first grade, you know, and I've had a lot of ebbs and flows to that relationship, but I believed so many things wrong about Jesus in my life. Now that doesn't mean I don't, didn't believe in Jesus. When I believed something wrong about Jesus, it just meant that I was falsely accusing my friend, or I was triggered or paranoid, or I wasn't presuming the best interpretation of something Jesus said. It didn't mean I didn't know Jesus. In the same way, let me tell you this huge secret. Adrian and I sometimes get in arguments. And a lot of times, Let's just say, maybe Adrian says something to me, and it really hurts me. And I get angry at Adrian because I presumed she meant this mean thing by what she said. But she may have meant something totally different. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have a relationship with Adrian. It just means I was wrong. And so we can have a relationship with Jesus as God and be wrong about so many things it just means our relationship has lots of room to grow. And I was sharing with one of my uh, good friends this morning, I was saying, it's so weird because every year I feel like I need to re-accept Jesus because I feel like so much I knew about him is different or better. Be and how about this idea? We, something we're endeavoring to do, and this is not a switch that turns. This is a practice that is embraced. And that is to repeat ourselves over and over. In God, there is nothing unchristlike. And if we read a contradiction, we're using the wrong method. And going right to the book of Genesis, very book of Genesis, we have God speaking to Adam and Eve. The very first story bit of Genesis. God speaking to Adam and Eve, saying, uh, don't eat this. And then shortly after, Eve says, don't even touch it. And that little clue in the Bible says people are always adding to God what he says, and people are always misquoting God. And even the Bible in the first couple chapters records people misquoting God. And it says in Hebrews, and it says in many different ways throughout the New Testament that Jesus is the perfect revelation. And what we had before was a revelation, but it was only a shadow. Now, if you see... Let's see, I've got a shadow there. You can see uh, pretty much from the shadow that my head is bald, 
that my ears stick out a bit. If I sit like this, you can see that I have a little bit of a paunch. But you can't see my eyes when you look at the shadow. You can't see if I'm smiling or not looking at the shadow. You can't see if I'm sad or happy working the shadow, but you can tell certain things about me from looking at the shadow. Uh, if I'm walking, you watch my shadow, you say, wow, uh, Jeff kind of walks funny. You can know that about my shadow, but you don't necessarily know how I feel about the fact I walk funny when looking at the shadow. And in the New Testament, it says the picture we had of God before was a shadow. Some things we knew were correct, some weren't. So, the, I'm an atheist in every circumstance other than the Jesus God. The Jesus God, but I've misunderstood Jesus so much, and you can join me in this journey to being more and more infected with the love of Jesus in the understanding of Jesus. All right? So I want to read, uh, we're going to read a passage in a, few mo- in a few minutes from 1 John chapter 2. Now, John, all his books, for some reason, the way I'm wired, different books of the Bible are harder or easier for different people, depending on how your brain is wired. And John kind of gets me turned up in circles because he just, he says things in kind of a tangly way, or at least a way that my tangled brain has a hard time hearing. But the good thing about that is I have to go really slow over it And when I slow down, sometimes I notice things. So it's good in a way. The fact John confuses me. Um, I don't give myself a hard time about it because we even have in the Bible Peter explaining that he's confused by what Paul says. That's God's way of giving you permission. It's okay to be confused. Just wrestle with it. Kind of going back to what Carl uh, was sharing with you uh, last week. Today I want to continue. Even though it's not Lent, it's Easter But the ideas we talked about in Lent are a part of how we're going to live out Easter. And that is living a revitalization journey. Entering into a journey, like it's been a year, look at your mask. We've been wearing masks for almost over a year. Who here has had maskne? By the way, if you got acne from wearing masks, and you look in the mirror, I want you to look at those those little pimples on your face and uh, uh, those uh, blemishes and say, those are symbols that I love my neighbor. When you see maskne, in the same way, like, in a similar way, when people looked at the scars on, Jesus decided to keep his scars into eternity. So when, because he was always the crucified God. He is always the God that is willing to completely sacrifice his liberty and be hurt so others can have life. And when you have maskne, that just means in this tiny little way, you're being Christ-like because you're willing to be inconvenienced and maybe pained or marked because you love your neighbor. Remember, love always beats liberty any day. Love always beats liberty. Liberty is cool when it's cool. Sometimes people have the liberty to be unkind to people. That's not cool, but love is always good. Amen? Um, But today, uh, I've been doing this kind of experiment it started like this. I, I get obsessed by different topics for different times and try to be, learn everything I can about a topic until my brain has a little spark and jumps to something new. And I've been listening to a ton of nature podcasts and living out in the woods and ex- exploration podcasts, specifically focused on nature, trees, animals, plants, how do people survive in harsh, ident- harsh environments. 
And some reason, I don't know if you know, YouTube likes to think for you sometimes, and sometimes that's very bad. Like if people watch a video about hating people, they get fed more videos about hating people, and they learn to hate, 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 and hate more. Sometimes the algorithm is cool, though. For instance, I'm doing all these nature videos, and somehow it linked to this YouTube channel called Soft White Underbelly. Do you guys know what Soft White Underbelly? Have you heard of this? It's a storytelling channel, and the idea is every animal has a vulnerable spot. And the vulnerable spot is described as the soft white underbelly. That's why when dogs lay down on their back and show you their belly, it means I trust you, because you could hurt my vital organs. And the soft white underbelly YouTube site is about telling the stories of the most vulnerable parts of America. And where, where does America and the system of America really fail? And it tells people stories. And specifically, got linked to that because it's talking about people who live in Appalachia without power or electricity or without connection to the internet or w without a good education or without health care. It's been telling stories, and I got a hook because somehow the stories of people living off the land in Appalachian tied to the uh, podcasts, right? I mean, on nature. And what I happened is I watched each one. I, I, I brought Adrian and said, you've got to listen to these to me. A group of people, like, it's very easy to live in a university area and look at people say things that they say based on lack of experience in education and look down on those people. To look at people who maybe haven't had the privilege of education and the privilege of access to health care and familial stability that we have known and to look down on them because maybe they say some horrible things. But in watching this, you see certain human universals that hearing enough of someone's story let me see a little bit of Jesus in them. Hearing enough of someone's story, uh, and then what happens, I watch these videos, then it synced to this one guy who was a real violent guy, and he's wearing this Confederate flag hat. It begins to tell a story. He says, oh no, I mean, here it goes. And I listen to his story. He talks about a life of abandonment and sexual abuse, because the guy literally asks the same questions to everyone he interviews. It's the same five questions. Adrian said, well, he's not a very good interviewer. I said, well, he's very consistent, and the people he's talking to do most of the talking. So he actually, I think he is a good interviewer. And as this guy, uh, the, this guy, presumably like a racist guy, is sharing his life, my heart breaks for him. And we call that empathy. Empathy is sticking with someone's story long enough to the point you don't hate them. Empathy is sticking to someone's story long enough to the point you don't hate them. Then the videos got to the point where they are interviewing people who uh, were uh, sex workers or it, trafficked in some cases and telling their whole story. And as a father, it was harrowing to listen to these certain consistent elements. People who said they loved the work they did had consistent trauma narratives with the people that said they hated the work they did. And then it goes to the people who are the, the pimps, or the people who are basically enslaving or, or, in some cases, representing these people. And he asks the same questions he asks to these people that are suffering. Like, uh, what was your relationship, or did you have a mom and dad? Uh, what, do you feel safe when you were a child? What were the scariest things that happened as a child? What were the best things that happened? And he's asking these stories. I'm starting to hear the trauma narratives of people that traumatize others. And literally people that, like, if there was a video game 
and I could, like, those were the enemies in the video game, and I would shoot all the traffickers down. Like, I could almost get behind a video game like that, right? It's like, you know, they're doing this thing to people, but as I'm watching this story, I'm like, oh my God, what happened to them? And I found as I listened to stories, I began to see that there was a system that developed, there was a system of unsafety and trauma that developed this person. There was a system, and the Bible is very clear about this. The Bible is crystal clear when it says our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers. Flesh and blood, the way we say that now, is a few bad eggs. When we look at bad things happening, we just blame it on this person is exceptionally bad, instead of saying, what is the power or principality that this person is part of? So to be Christians who are biblical, repeat these words just so you get used to it. Powers and principalities. We call, now we call that systems. So say the word systems. So we, if we have to disagree with Jesus and disagree with Paul and disagree with the entirety of the scripture if we don't believe in systemic evil. And the Bible even says not to hate the people we think are a few bad apples, but to love your enemies. So the people become representatives of evil, and we hate them. And watching the George Floyd, the trial of Derek Chauvin, I mean, his face has become synonymous with evil in my mind, just like Adolf Hitler's. I just look at that guy, and as he's just casually destroying this man's body and life, as I look upon his face, I see every bully and every hater I've ever experienced in my life. He's become a figurehead of hatred. And listen, I'm not going to judge anyone that hates that man. It's not my job. But I want to say something. I found the more energy I give to hating individuals instead of systems, the less energy I have to love my neighbor. The more time I spend, if I spend time hating one person, the less I'm able to love Adrian. The more time I spend raging on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, then if I'm ra raging, if I'm watching these videos of how stupid X, Y, and Z are, and I'm raging at that person, and my son comes in, surprises me with a visit, wants to talk to me about something, I'm not emotionally there for my son. Because they, I would say loving our enemy isn't just about, yeah, you should do that, you should love your enemy. We have such fragile, limited abilities to be present that when we hate people, it takes the same energy we could be using to love people. So my ability to love you all is compromised if I'm hating anyone outside of this room, outside of this yard. So what if we were to believe, what if we were to believe that we have, we have the energy to hate our enemies or love one another we cannot do both. If we hate our enemies, our ability to love anyone is compromised. So what's been helping me as a practice, because someone can say, have more empathy, have more empathy. Guys, trying harder doesn't work. You have to do something on a regular basis for a long period of time to exercise a muscle. So I've been encountering stories of people that I would stereotype and been learning. Now, this in no way in no way does embracing an idea, a biblical theology of systemic evil, that no way justifies or makes you cool with evil. By the way, when you believe in systemic evil, you hate evil even more. When you hate systems, you have a bigger problem with evil 
not a lower problem you. Because great, the great thing about, the horrible thing about seeing someone like Derek Chauvin and hating on him is you're able to think, I'm good, he's bad. It, when really what God wants to say is, how can you be a shareholder in God's work of righteousness and justice in this world? How can you be in the game? And the idea is, if we just look at people that we see as monsters, then we lose the opportunity to say, what are ways for us to, be to, to fight monstrosities and monster factories? Because, you know, okay, for you business, guy, business guys or ladies, people really into business and right, you know, reading uh, business journals, Peter Drucker, like the god of business wisdom, Peter Drucker, uh, said this. He says, the, the machine you have is perfectly designed to get the results it's getting. The organization you have is perfectly designed to produce the results it's getting. And a lot of people in the business world will embrace this about business, but when it comes to evil, they say it's just a couple of bad people, versus say, how does the business, for instance, how does the business of law enforcement, how does that machine produce Derek Chauvin? Because, or how does the business of how America's functioned how does the business of America produce mass shooting events that don't occur really anywhere else in the world? How, what, is, what is our business designed to do? Now, how does this tie to this chapter in John? Well, I'm going to read it to you, and I think it is inextricably tied to how we uh, can be freed up of hatred. 1 John 2, 1 through 11, bam. Father God, I ask your increased presence here, God. Amen. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. I love this. Not just for us. <laughs> not only for ours, but the sins of everyone. I love that saying. Like, we always talk about personal relationship with Jesus. And he goes... And Jesus is like, yes, I personally love you, but we're an interpersonal family, you know? Uh, so much, when we emphasize the personal, sometimes we lose the corporate. And, the, you know, uh, anyway. So, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Pause. I have been terrified of this verse most of my life. It says, uh, but we know that we come to know him if we keep his commands. And when I think of keep his commands, I think of a set of hundreds of rules I associate with Christianity. And I think, I've got to do all this right or God doesn't love me. Because my understanding, and not because of Jesus, but because my understanding and my accusations and my triggers that these words pull, get up, pull me away from the reality of Jesus. And I think, I think of all these things that Jesus maybe never even mentioned that mean that I'm not good enough. Now, I do believe there are, there, Jesus lived a commanding life. And to follow Jesus means we have instincts to do one thing, and God invites us to say no and live our life in a different direction. There is a sense of righteousness that comes to our lives in following Jesus. But it's not a righteousness like this static rules. And the, it actually, if we look to the context and we look at John's greater writings, we'll understand this passage. 
But if a person obeys his word, love for God is made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. And throughout John, oh, then he continues, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have heard since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing, the true light is shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is in darkness. Oh, so this command is about hating or loving. It has to do with that arena. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister is in the light. So this idea, when we're talking about commands, the specific area of commands it's talking about is living just like Jesus, and to be more specific, loving, not hating. So, and then, but anyone who hates brother and sisters in darkness and walks around darkness, they don't know where they're going because they are blinded by darkness. So when I would read that verse, I would always think of all the things I do wrong. Now the thing is, we can't, check mark the box of doing love right. Love cannot be a check marky type rule. Love is a journey. When I committed to love Adrian on our wedding day, for better or for worse, for the rest of our lives, that didn't mean I knew a clue of what that meant. I knew a couple clues. But every year, I'm learning more and more what it means to love Adrian. It doesn't mean I did not love Adrian when we got married. It meant that to love is to be in a trajectory of growing as a lover. To love is to be in a trajectory of going to love other. And to be obedient to the love of God isn't to be perfectly like Jesus. To obedient to the love of God is continually learning and being infected by Jesus to love in new and different ways. So listen, if you're, just, if you're struggling to death, you have an anger issue, you have a load of people you hate, but you are learning to love little by little, more and more, through developing empathy and through the Holy Spirit. You're good. You're good. You're in a good, wonderful trajectory if, you're, if you can say, I love more than I did a year ago. But, and guys, there's something fiercely practical. I heard someone recently say, I can't love everyone, that's exhausting. Because their idea of loving everyone was a rule. This person who grew up in a theologian's family and stuff, I said, well, no. Of course, that's exhausting. But loving, allowing God to help you level up each time you defeat a hate boss on a game and you level up to a new level of love, the idea of loving everyone is loving the one you're with or the one you hear about as they come. All right? It's, God is always relational in how he does things. And he doesn't give us, he doesn't give us the boss level stuff till he lets us level up on some easier stuff. So, guys... Love is what helps us to have endurance in this ever so discouraging world. Love, hate is exhausting. Hate is tiring. If I'm, now I'm not telling us to be ignorant of the injustices and the systems and the specific way the systems of evil are working in our country. I spend every day spending some time keeping abreast of how bad it is. I mean, what? Mass, mass shooting and law enforcement violence. Every day, it's a new name. You know, they say, say their names. I'm literally losing the ability or have lost the ability to remember all the names. 
say, who, whose name this week? Isn't one of the, who, whose name do we have to say th- today versus yesterday? And, and say their names is eventually you take a baby name book and you just read it and you'll get to them that way. Right? Read a baby name book and you're saying their names. Now, by the way, say their names. But what I'm saying is because of the system, there's an ever-growing list of names. But we need to know, interacting with story in a loving way is I want to hear the story of George Floyd's family and how they've been affected. But I want to be present to having enough power. I'm already struggling with depression. I'm a delicate little flower, and I'm not the most resilient person. And listen, if I focus too much on Derek Chauvin versus the system that created him, I have less ability to be present relationally to people who've been uh, wounded by racism. You know, I just want to be depressed, sit on my couch, and go in fetal position under my nice wool blankets. Now, naps are good, but, you know, depression naps can be a bummer. (laughs) And if I spend time on the hate bit, I can't be empowered on engaging Jesusly bit. So something uh, John says here, so you've heard this term, love the sinner, hate the sin. And I think that's crap. You know, if we spend time hating each sin, that's going to be exhausting. But I would say, love the sinner, hate the system. Love the sinner, hate the system. Because a system, we don't have to focus on each individual manifestation of that system and get exhausted. Hating the system is what, uh, uh, do not love the world or anything in the world because of the love of the world is in you, God's love is not in you. Uh, when Paul is using that in Colossians, he means do not love the system or anything in the system because the love of the system is in you, God's love is not in you. The word cosmos there is used to talk about the system, the operating system of a world without love. We can hate that, but if we get lost in the hating of people, we, here's another thing, when you get lost to the hate of people, we are not convicted of the lack of love in our own life. How many times have I let hatred of someone or a news story prevent me, I'm snappy with my kids, or I'm angry, or I complain so much, you know, I'm known so well for being able to complain, articulate on Facebook, but no one's going to call me if their life's falling apart, because I'm just always on fire. You know, I know some, I have some friends and people I've known that are extremely woke about justice, but they're always angry, and I'm not going to call them if I'm depressed for prayer, just because I only see them in that mode. And I, I'll call someone who feels safe. Love empowers endurance. Hate is exhausting. Uh, love, this, love the people. Hate the systems. Um, I want to talk about kingdom algebra. Anyone love math here? Raise your hand if you love. Anyone, anyone not feel an extreme love of mathematics? Okay, my daughter loves math. Me, not so much. But there, algebra, are, the idea of algebra is th- there's an order of operations. You have to do things in a certain order or you're not going to get the right result. And if you don't use the right algebra when designing a house, you may do an equation that causes the roof to fall down. I want to talk about kingdom of God algebra. Start with love. You, you start with loving people before you hate systems. If you love is an afterthought, it never works. Oh. Okay. 
We, we start with love. If love is not at the beginning of the equation, we lose. And one thing it said, going back to this John passage, it said uh, the Word of God. Now John, whenever John says Word of God, he specifically means the story of Jesus. In the beginning of John, he made it clear. He said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And God was with the Word. And he's talking about Jesus. So Jesus is the Word. Or another way to say is the story of Jesus is the Word of God. The story of Jesus. And I can't wrap around a set of rules, but I can wrap around the story because the more I watch the story, the more intrigued I can get. You ever have a movie you watch a lot of times because you love it so much? And you notice new Easter eggs? Well, literally, in Jesus' life, there are Easter eggs. Meaning there's new life ready to hatch in your life, but the more you read his stories, you'll notice things in the story that you jumped over in the past. Easter eggs. You like that? Let's make that a thing. Kingdom of God Easter eggs. Let's go on an Easter egg hunt. And um, guys, one thing I'm really concerned about is many of us have such soft hearts that God is not going to tempt us to not care about justice. So many of you are not going to be tempted to not care about injustice. What you're going to be tempted to is not spend your first resource on love that will empower us to dismantle systems of evil. You can't play the game if you're exhausted. You're exhausted if you hate. Let's love Jesus. Let's stand. Um, I heard a, I was talking to a, a loved one of mine who's been going through some real traumatic things. And I asked him, I said, uh, so you've got a lot on your shoulders, a lot of very important things resting on your shoulders. More bad stuff is happening to you than probably ever in your life. How are you not going to crack up? How can you do the good work God has called you to do with all these bad things happening and also all the bad things in the world? And what this person told me says, well, I used to block the feed on Facebook and Twitter of all the haters. You know, all the people, because I, I know these people are doing these things. I don't need to hear what they're doing. He's out of block feed. I said, well, you did that a while ago. I said, well, I had to do something else. I had to block the people that are always raging about the haters. Because I don't have the energy to rage against the system or rage against the machine if I'm always hearing those people yelling on social media. I said, that's brilliant. I said, so you've made more space recognizing you're going through trauma right now and you don't have the resilience. So how do we have the resilience? We eat Jesus. We eat Jesus. That means, and this metaphor, and I'm not talking about some creepy, like, mystical ceremony. What I'm talking about is when we, every time we hold a physical representation of the body and blood of Christ, we remember God was present to us. And, you know, you are what you eat. It must have been an ancient metaphor because the idea is when we celebrate Eucharist, this is the Pledge of Allegiance to the Jesus flag. When we do the Eucharist, it is broken, bloody, spilt, and it's also Jesus welcomes you across the table. So Lord Jesus, fill these elements with your presence and fill us with your love. Night Jesus betrayed, took the bread, he broke it and said, this is my body, it's all for you. After supper, he took the cup, saying this cup, it's the new operating system in my blood. Every time you drink, Remember me. Let's do it, guys.